Hello, everyone. Welcome to day 42 of the Matthew Audio Devotional. Chad Inman here, an individual so deranged and twisted, he volunteered for today's reading. Please pray for me. But in all seriousness, today's reading might feel harsh, and it may bring on some shameful feelings. Please stick with me as we explore the story. So with that, I will be reading Matthew 19, verses 1 through 12, using the New Living Translation. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went down to the region of Judea, east of the Jordan River. Large crowds followed him there, and he healed their sick. Some Pharisees came and tried to trap him with this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? Haven't you read the scripture, Jesus replied? They record that from the beginning God made them male and female, and he said, This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Then why did Moses say in the law that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away, they asked. Jesus replied, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts, but it was not what God had originally intended. And I tell you this, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery, unless his wife has been unfaithful. Jesus' disciples then said to him, If this is the case, it is better not to marry. Not everyone can accept this statement, Jesus said, only those whom God helps. Some are born as eunuchs, some have been made eunuchs by others, and some choose not to marry for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let anyone accept this who can. Okay, before we go any further, two things. First, I need to clearly state that my posture as we explore the meaning of this text is not one of blame and shame, nor is it some hypothetical mental exercise. You see, my parents, who have five marriages and four divorces between them, ended their relationship when I was just five years old. As I ponder the origin of their relationship and what each of them, and what each of them were struggling with at the time, I honestly can't envision their marriage ever surviving, let alone thriving. Additionally, by any standard, including the one Jesus lays out in this text, I deserve to have divorce papers handed to me years ago. My wife would be 100% biblically justified. So please, please, please believe there is nothing superior or judgmental in my position or intent today. Next, while I am convinced that understanding context is always important when exploring scripture, this text, as much as any portion of the Bible, needs the reader to explore and understand both the situational and historical context. So let's get right into exploring the situational context. What really stands out to me is this. There was nothing earnest about the question posed to Jesus by the Pharisees. There was no distraught, defeated husband, desperate to know if leaving his wife was an acceptable op option to end their combined misery. No. A group of Pharisees insert themselves into the situation, interrupting Jesus as he is performing miracles, by the way. And for what? Well, to lay a trap. They had heard about Jesus' words on divorce 
from the from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount earlier in the book, and they are bringing up a theological debate between two opposing Jewish schools of thought. This was meant to be a no-win situation for Jesus. So the sanctity or the importance of marriage did not really play into their question in any way. Jesus has no compassion for this question because of its intent. I assure you, Jesus is full of compassion for those struggling in a marriage or over the loss of one. I am reminded of his interaction with a Samaritan woman who was divorced and remarried numerous times, and yet he reached out to her, and she was used by God to share his good news with her entire community. Okay, so with that, let's shift and look at the historical context of the story. First century Judea was, to quote the great prophet, or poet rather, James Brown, a man's world. In this time and place, women often had little say in who they married, and a woman was not permitted to initiate a divorce. In Jesus' day, the man alone would be the one deciding to end the marriage. Further, in this context, a woman did not have acceptable and safe ways to provide for herself. If she were to become widowed or divorced, her only option was to return to her family of origin, if that was possible, or remarry. So the concept of a divorce certificate was permissible by God to protect a woman and allow her to remarry within the Jewish community so that she could be provided for. It was never God's ideal. And I think we can assume it was very common for a first century Jewish husband to divorce his wife. We see clear evidence of this by Jesus' disciples' response. They chime in with, It's better not to marry then. So what do we do with Jesus' closing statements in this passage? Is he really agreeing that it is indeed better to remain single? I'm going to reread verses 10 through 12, this time using the message translation to maybe help give some clarification. So beginning in verse 10, Jesus' disciples objected, If those are the terms of marriage, we haven't got a chance. Why get married? But Jesus said, not everyone is mature enough to live a married life. It requires a certain aptitude and grace. Marriage isn't for everyone. Some from birth seemingly never give marriage a thought. Others never get asked or accepted. And some decide not to get married for kingdom reasons. But if you are capable of growing into the largeness of marriage, do it. So you see, Jesus is not agreeing with the idea that the better way is to remain single. He is saying that God has a design for marriage and that marriage is not for everyone. I think the point is this. Whatever your relationship status, approach it as a calling. So what about us? What do we do with this passage? I got to be honest here and admit that While working on this devotional, I got stuck here. I had to step away and pray and ponder for a while. I mean, I know that using this text to beat people over the head is wrong, ineffective, and outright hurtful. And yet, trying to explain it away to avoid conviction and uncomfortableness doesn't feel quite right either. So maybe, just maybe, there is a third option 
as we look at this text. I'm reminded of the words of the Apostle Paul, who refers to himself as the greatest of sinners, but also instructs others to follow him as he follows Christ. Paul's instructions to other Christians on how to live makes up a great deal of the New Testament. But in these words that come to mind in Romans 8, but these words, rather, in Romans 8 are what come to mind. Beginning in verse 31, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? And skipping down to verse 38, And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul was candid about his past transgressions, his past sins, and yet he was able to fully accept God's grace and restoration through Christ and to step confidently into his God-given mission. So once again in today's story, Jesus is saying that both marriage and the single life are a calling. Laura, my wife, she stayed not out of some burdensome moral obligation. She stuck with the marriage because she felt that God was asking her to. More specifically, she believed that God was saying that if she let him, he would use our painful story to bring hope and healing to ourselves, to our family, and to others who are experiencing similar heartbreak. Laura and I believe that God is working in the pain and that he is inviting us to join him in whatever small way in the work of healing broken marriages. So, what about you? How might God use your marriage, your singleness, and yes, even your divorce to bring hope and healing to others? Where do you see God moving, and how might he be inviting you to be a part of it? Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you that nothing, absolutely nothing, can separate us from your love. We thank you for the ways you are working, even during pain and sadness. We are so grateful for your healing and the ways you invite your children to be a part of your redemptive work. Please help us to see our lives, whether married or single, as a calling, and show us how we might be a blessing to others. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, everybody. Have a great day.